Uh, I think this is solvable. Uh, I'm optimistic that uh, we can dramatically reduce the number of people that are living outside. This is not a normal condition in our history as a country. That's the voice of today's guest, John Scholes, the president and CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association. I'm Jeff Schulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast focuses on the businesses and their response to a crisis affecting everyone in Seattle, homelessness. In addition to John Scholes, you'll hear from local business leader Mike Slade. It's just money. It's just money. What, what do homeless people need? Homes. Right? I mean, I'm sorry to be flip, right? But what does every homeless person lack? A home, right? So it, it's just math. Money, land, buildings, math, right? Combined, these interviews give you perspectives on why and how business leaders could get involved in chipping away at the homelessness crisis. Homelessness is an increasingly visible issue here in Seattle, and the entire fifth season of Seattle Growth Podcast has been devoted to bringing together diverse perspectives on the issue. Previous guests have included Seattle City Council members Teresa Mosqueda and Mike O'Brien. King County Executive Dow Constantine, former Washington State Attorney General Rob McKenna, and several individuals who are experiencing or who have experienced homelessness. The voices of the season have helped listeners become more informed about the issues facing us all, and have offered inspiration on small things you can do to chip away at this crisis. For inspiration based on what the Downtown Seattle Association is doing to address the crisis, join me as I sit down with John Scholes. I am here with John Scholes, President and CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association and two-time Seattle Growth Podcast guest. John, thank you for joining me today. Happy to be back. So we're here to talk about homelessness and how Downtown Seattle Association is managing it, dealing with it, and being affected by it. But before we do that, let's just remind listeners, what is the Downtown Seattle Association? What do you do? We are a nonprofit membership-based association founded in 1958 that works to create a healthy, vibrant downtown. And uh, we do that through advocacy and advancing public policy. And we also provide a lot of direct services in the downtown from hiring individuals to keep the public areas clean and uh, keep graffiti off public property and pick up trash to managing parks like Westlake and Occidental uh, Square down in Pioneer Square. So a combination of direct services for the downtown, um, as well as uh, trying to influence public policy and uh, and some of the decisions that get made that affect the environment. But our mission, again, is to create a healthy, vibrant downtown. And we think of downtown as everybody's neighborhood, uh, whether you live or work here or just visit. It's really the city and region's neighborhood, and, uh, and we're working to keep it thriving every day. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long have you lived in Seattle? How long have you been in this role? I grew up in Tacoma and uh, would come up to downtown with my family and as a visitor uh, when I was growing up, but grew up in Tacoma and graduated from the University of Washington. Uh, been with the organization uh, 10 years this week and uh, four years in my current role as the president and CEO. So background in public policy uh, and planning and, and uh, government locally and uh, have a passion for urban public policy issues and the, and the people and interests that are trying to shape and affect them and uh, love cities and love downtown. So it's a great combination for me uh, here in this role with this organization at a really exciting time in our city uh, and in uh, the downtown neighborhood. So 10 years with the Downtown Seattle Association. How is the current homelessness crisis compared to when you first started trying to build a thriving downtown here? 
You know, we've had a population of folks who are chronically homeless that have been in and around downtown for a number of years. Certainly 10 years ago, we had folks who were homeless in downtown. I think the 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 change that we've seen in the last couple of years is really the homeless crisis spreading citywide and really throughout the region. It's not just a downtown uh, challenge anymore. It's really a, a regional challenge. We're seeing homeless um, and unsheltered folks throughout the city of Seattle. Uh, and I think that's what's different. Certainly the numbers are up uh, significantly from uh, what we saw a decade ago. And uh, we've got a record number of people that are outside. Tell me, how does this affect what you're trying to do? How does the homelessness crisis and the numbers of people living outside affect your constituents and your efforts here? Sure. You know, as I mentioned, our mission is create a healthy, vibrant downtown. And uh, we want that experience in this place, the neighborhood, to be healthy for everybody that's enjoying it. And if you're living outside uh, day in, day out, um, if you've got mental health uh, challenges, if you've got substance use disorder, that's not a healthy experience for you. And it's not a healthy experience for the neighborhood, really. Um, There's impacts to folks who are working downtown, to folks who own property, to folks who live downtown. So um, it's not a healthy situation to have people living outside, either for them or for the neighborhood. Uh, And those are the challenges we face today. We've got too many people that are sleeping in doorways and under awnings and in tents, um, not connected to services, not connected to employment or shelter or housing. And now my understanding is the Downtown Seattle Association has contributed at least in some part to addressing the challenge that this, the whole city is facing. Can you tell me a little bit about the Metropolitan Improvement District and, and what that means for the people who are sleeping outside or at risk of becoming homeless? So in 1999, we formed a, a district within the downtown uh, where all property owners are contributing essentially an extra uh, tax payment that is going to providing a lot of the services that we carry out every day and um, from cleaning and managing the parks and hospitality and safety patrols. And there was really a conscious decision back in 99 when that district was created that we were going to um, orient some of these programs to be second chance job opportunities. So the folks that you see in yellow jackets and vests out cleaning the streets seven days a week in downtown, many are coming from a background of homelessness or Uh, from experience in the criminal justice system. And so we've been operating that program in that way um, since we began it in 1999 and really looking for opportunities where we can step up and provide employment uh, to folks who are experiencing homelessness and looking for that second opportunity. And so we've run that program in that way since the beginning, and we've expanded it in recent years through a partnership with the United Way and the Millionaire Club. Uh, here in Seattle, a nonprofit that provides a lot of the direct and wraparound services to some of the people that we're hiring. So help them get back on their uh, feet and help them also find housing. And then we're investing um, in housing directly for some of the folks that we're hiring. If we hire you and we understand that you are homeless currently and you're living in your car and trying to get to work every day with us, um, we're investing in uh, first and last month and, and providing deposit for those individuals so they can get back on their feet uh, while they uh, are working for us. And uh, so employment has been a big part of our strategy and the contribution we've tried to make. But we also have a, a long history of supporting affordable housing. Uh, going back to the late 70s, early 1980s, when our organization and the leaders at the time helped found uh, Bellwether Housing, which was formerly the Seattle Housing Resources Group. And today, Bellwether is one of the largest providers of affordable housing in the city of Seattle. And that organization uh, was 
uh, created by the Downtown Seattle Association and the leaders at the time who raised the startup funds uh, to get it off the ground. Um, so it's both in employment directly, uh, but also in supporting more affordable housing throughout the city. So you've uh, given employment, uh, second chance employers to those experiencing homelessness or at risk of experiencing homelessness. Uh, you have the this homeless resource, the housing resource group. So you're contributing both jobs and housing. Why? Why is this the responsibility of the Downtown Seattle Association and the businesses that are, are here? Well, the complexity around this issue of homelessness is such um, that it really requires everybody coming together and making a contribution where they can uh, if we're going to make uh, headway. And uh, like I s- said earlier, you know, it, it's hard to say you've got a healthy, vibrant downtown if you've got a lot of people in need living outside. It's just those uh, two situations are in conflict. So it's in our interest, um, given our mission, to uh, look at where can we make a difference. And we think we can make a difference in employment and leading the way there and encouraging other employers to open up uh, job opportunities for uh, folks who are experiencing homelessness. And we've seen that in recent years where other employers are stepping up and in advocating for more uh, affordable housing um, and uh, you know, starting an organization in the 1980s that has uh, grown significantly since then and had a major impact, but also supporting uh, the low-income housing levy. We've been large supporters uh, of that going back to its creation in the 1980s. So direct investment uh, from property owners uh, to create more housing in the city. And then in recent years, we've also invested directly in a team of uh, outreach workers that are working five days a week in the downtown, uh, working to connect people that are currently outside with services, shelter, and uh, employment. Uh, So we're trying to build those relationships with individuals that are outside today and helping them navigate their way uh, to get back on their feet. And do you have any metrics of success? Do you have any numbers or stories to share that show what you're doing with connecting people to jobs, to housing, and services that, that it's working? Yeah, just so in the last year, uh, our outreach team engaged about 250 or so folks um, to uh, connected them to case management, uh, employment, shelter, or housing. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, we're playing a diversion role. Um, you know, someone who shows up on the streets downtown or, you know, coming to Seattle thinking they have work and a job and it falls through and they don't have much money in their pocket and uh, their chances of becoming homeless are significant. Uh, we're trying to intercept those folks and help them back on their feet with some flexible funding. It might mean that we're going to help you buy a motel room for 30 days until you've got an opportunity to uh, find another uh, uh, employment opportunity, or you want to reconnect with your family back uh, where you came from and you need some fare for a bus ticket. So in some cases, we're acting in a diversion uh, role and trying to keep people from falling into homelessness and staying there for a long time. And then also trying to build relationships with folks who've been outside for a long time and uh, and they are chronically homeless and they've been out there for many years and it's difficult to build trust and convince them Uh, to come into a shelter or take housing or um, they might not have any ID or uh, and have other barriers to getting employment or getting connected to services. We're helping to break down those walls. So a little over 200 people uh, last year. There's many more than that um, uh, still in need of of help. But we're trying to do our part to really divert people from becoming chronically homeless and then also engaging with those who are who've been outside for a long time. So for the small business owner out there or the large-scale employer out there, 
What can businesses learn from your experience in giving employment to homeless, getting housing or supporting housing, and also then connecting in this this team that's connecting them to resources? What could other businesses and, and small businesses and large businesses and other employers, what can they learn from your experience? Well, and I think the, the downtown community really um, it, it understands the, the challenge that we face here and the complexities around homelessness and that, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's all about human beings and individual needs. And, um, and there's a lot of complexity to people's story and how they got here. Uh, and what they need to uh, get back on their feet and get into housing or get another job. Uh, so I think there's a deep appreciation among the business community and the property owners and other key stakeholders in downtown around uh, this challenge because they experience it every day and they're supporters of a lot of the nonprofit housing providers that have a big presence in our uh, downtown. But we all have a role to play. Um, you know, we're one big neighborhood here. We want it to be healthy and vibrant for everybody that. Uh, whether live, work, or visit here, and uh, we all have uh, a way to contribute. And uh, whether that's opening up jobs, whether it's understanding who are the folks that are outside your building and uh, making sure to pick up the phone and, and, and connect with some of the folks that can help them, whether it's our outreach team or others. Um, but we all have an, an obligation, I think, and a role to play if we're going to make headway on this really difficult crisis. So if we all have a role to play, and you've got listeners now wondering what can they do or should they do anything? Uh, do you have any guidance for somebody who's not a business, not a big business, not part of a major organization? What do you think somebody could do to help a healthy downtown or a healthy Seattle? I think you know, generally continue to educate yourself on this issue. Um, find a nonprofit that um, you want to get involved in, uh, whether that means donating your time or money. But we've got some great nonprofit housing providers across the city and across the county that have really led the way nationally on, on new models and approaches uh, around uh, this issue and, you know, contribute your resources, whatever they may be, to, to their uh, efforts. Um, and, you know, engage with folks who are outside. Uh, don't look away. Um, say hi um, and, uh, and uh, help your, you know, fellow uh, member of the community in whatever way you can um, get back on their feet. And that may just be, you know, an interaction of some sort, which could be just making eye contact. Um, and uh, those relationships and, and f- people feeling uh, that they can trust uh, other folks is a big part of them getting back on their feet. And it takes a lot of visits and interaction from our team and other outreach workers uh, before uh, someone's often willing to accept that help, particularly if they've been out on the street for a long, long time. So um, creating that sense of community and, uh, and having those interactions is really important. And one concern people raise is that, you know, Seattle is almost too nice to homeless individuals and in that it's drawing them in or encouraging them to continue to be homeless. Do you have any comment on, on that kind of concern people raise? Well, we know from the city's own research of about a thousand people that are currently living outside within the city limits that about half of them became homeless outside of the city of Seattle, somewhere within the region, um, more likely than within another state. But Seattle is investing a lot of resources and and really uh, shouldering uh, a regional responsibility. And we haven't seen other cities uh, or the county or state step up in a way... um, 
that is going to make a significant difference on this issue. And the city has continued to invest more and more and is really shouldering, you know, the region's burden here. And so there is some truth to, to folks coming into the city of Seattle from other parts of the three, four county region for services and shelter and housing, because that's uh, where they've been invested. And, uh, and we need other cities in other counties to step up. We all have a shared responsibility here, and uh, I'm hoping we'll see a little more action and investment from um, some of the other leaders throughout the region who ha have folks who are homeless in their community. <laughs> they're there, uh, but they're often forced to come into uh, the middle of Seattle for services, for shelter, for housing. And so you, you said up at the beginning of this podcast that you, you love public policy. So let's wade into that a little bit. What would you like to see different at either the city level, the county level, the state level, the national level? You get to choose. Where would you like to see some changes and, and why would you like to see them? Uh, I'd like to see a, a regional uh, authority that has the responsibility around this issue, has the resources, um, and has... Uh, the authority to make decisions around housing, homelessness, investment in services. And so we can create greater transparency around the problem and what we're doing about it, what's working, what's not, uh, and really elevate this issue um, where it should be, whether it's a, a, at the county level or even beyond that at a three or four county uh, level and empower a new um, entity that has representation from the public sector, but I think also the private and nonprofit sectors um, to really, uh, you know, take on this issue in a way that we haven't before and do it in a way where there's incredible transparency to everybody involved and also the, the public around what those investments are, what's working, what's not. And one of the things that happened here in Seattle, the controversial head tax. So the, the government uh, wanted to charge a, a tax per employee, and the business community responded, and ultimately it was repealed. Is there anything that we could learn from how that whole process unfolded that might inform either the, the government leaders or the everyday citizens and businesses as to what could we learn from how that whole controversy unfolded? Yeah, I think first and foremost, if, if we're going to make headway on one of the most complicated issues of our time, we need to listen to and engage the public. And in that case, uh, unfortunately, the elected officials leading um, the charge to tax jobs in the city didn't. The public was strongly against this proposal. That was evident uh, to us and others uh, when it was first proposed. Um, they spoke out. They weren't listened to. Uh, and it was adopted anyway, and then uh, the public got even more engaged. And then finally, the elected officials listened and repealed the legislation. <laughs> but if we're going to be successful, we need to listen to the public on this, engage them, because uh, we all want the same outcome. We want fewer people outside. I think there's shared frustration with where we're at with this issue today, and it feels like we're going in the wrong direction. Uh, and we need some new ideas and new approaches as well. Um, we can't pretend that and shouldn't pretend that we got it all figured out and we've got all the models and approaches that are necessary. Um, we need to open our arms and ears and eyes to new ideas, particularly around the investment and development of affordable housing. The current model is really, really expensive and it takes a long time. 
Um, and there's some of those units and projects that are, that are expensive and do take a long time, but they're, we need them because they have unique services and case management uh, for a, a population of folks who are difficult to serve and that are in really uh, uh, tough situations. But we need to figure out um, how to build uh, affordable housing um, much faster, and, uh, and so it's less expensive than it is today because uh, – we're only able to help a certain number of people with the resources that we have, which have been growing in the last couple of years. Uh, and we need to help a lot more and we need to do it more quickly than we're doing it now. Any concluding thoughts? Uh, I think this is solvable. Uh, I'm optimistic that, uh, we can dramatically reduce the number of people that are living outside. This is not a normal condition in our history as a country. Um, and we can make a difference and, uh, reduce the number of people on the streets of Seattle and on the streets of King County. John, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Appreciate the opportunity. Still to come on this episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, a candid interview with business leader, longtime Seattle resident, and venture capitalist, Mike Slade. But first, I'm excited to share an update on my latest project. I've teamed up with filmmaker Stephen Fong to produce a feature-length documentary about a community on the brink of vanishing from Seattle and their efforts to have a place to call home. Check out facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm for more details. The movie brings you brand new stories from some of Seattle Growth Podcast's memorable guests, including Seattle Supersonics legend Slick Watts. The movie is a story of history, of hope, and of determination. Visit facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm to see a trailer, and like the Facebook page to get updates on when and where you could see the movie. Now... Back to today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Join me as I sit down with Mike Slade. I am here in the Russell Investment Center with Mike Slade, co-founder of Second Avenue Partners and someone who's had uh, a long track record of contributing uh, to businesses here in Seattle. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So we're here to talk about homelessness and what it means to you personally, what it means to businesses, and, and just get your thoughts on the future of Seattle. But before we do that, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I grew up in Portland, uh, a nominally well-planned city, uh, and um, actually wrote a bunch of papers on urban planning when I was young, and then uh, came to work at Microsoft out of Stanford Business School in 1983, and then left for a couple of years to work in Silicon Valley and came back to run my own company. And then, uh, so other than commuting back to Apple for a while, I've been in Seattle most of my 35 years here. Tell me about Second Avenue Partners. Second Avenue Partners is uh, Nick Hanauer and Pete Higgins and I, and we invest uh, our own money and some of our friends' monies just as co-investors in lots of small angel venture capital deals. So before we get to your opinions and, and experiences uh, with Seattle's homelessness crisis, let's talk a little bit about the growth of Seattle. You're in the thick of it, investing in companies, and you know you you were a CEO of Starwave, launching ESPN.com and a whole bunch of other properties. What's the future hold for this city? Seattle like San Francisco, historically was a gold rush city and a boom and bust city. So it had several boom and bust cycles, and including the famous time when they said the last person from Seattle, please turn the lights out and Boeing and everything. And so when I moved here, I was struck by there's a collective, uh, two things that are very different than, say, Portland, maybe more like San Francisco. There's a collective insecurity about it. Will, when will it end in Seattle, which means that uh, the interests of business have always sort of trumped all other interests when push comes to shove, which isn't how it seems at first. Seattle seems like a place with, you know, 
super liberal city council and this, quote, Seattle process, unquote, where everything takes forever and everybody has to get their opinion heard, even if they're a moron. Uh, and uh, and it seem, things seem to take a long time. But I've always seen that it's a city that is insanely focused on growth. And the thing that's always driven me crazy about growth uh, ever since I studied economics in college was that people take growth as some sort of input variable like the weather or the um, or the you know the the atomic weight of oxygen or something as opposed to a thing that you can decide how much growth you want or don't want um, in different cities some cities wish they had more growth oh dear I'm Detroit I'm failing other cities have too much growth you know you could certainly argue that up and down the west coast you see a lot of symptoms of cities that are growing really fast uh, and then most of the time is spent figuring out what to do about all this growth as opposed to, well, so for example, you know, we have, we do have some building laws in Seattle. Seattle's a funny place because uh, the density of downtown Seattle has been uh, fixed and then varied multiple times since I have moved here. So the, the, the urban growth boundary, which wasn't instituted for a very long time, has moved a bunch of times. And so there's kind of this, the, the goalposts keep getting moved about what is the optimal level of insanity to have in a big city. Uh, the, I think most people were surprised by the, the rapid growth rate of Amazon, and it's ironic that they grew in a place where there is no mass transit. They're, they could have, like, you know, they could have... So I suppose you could argue, just as a doctrinaire thing, if you were a city that was much more... Um, what's the word? A city that was willing to be more risk-seeking, they could have told Amazon... Well, you can only expand this much if you go down, like where the light rail line is, down on MLK or something. I'm not saying that could have happened, but it could have tried, right? But instead, what happened was you have an area that was supposed to be a park, and then it got voted down, barely, uh, becomes this sea of office buildings with a little streetcar that has the capacity of like a bicycle and crazy traffic. And so I'm glad Amazon's growing. It's great for the city and everything. Um, but even Amazon now, one of the reasons they're talking about having an HQ2 is because Seattle's such a shit show, right? Horrible traffic, everybody's behind. And so I would kind of argue that the city has it backwards, that the city and the region uh, thinks that they can't ever do anything to say no to growth, but instead has to do things to, to sort of compensate for growth and, and you know, patch up all the problems that the insane growth creates. And I would argue you could do it a different way. You could say, we only want so much growth. If you want more growth, screw you, right? Now, you could argue both ways. I mean, you could also argue, which has been eloquently pointed out by the guy who writes for the Seattle Times, Seattle is this really high percentage of, of its uh, land is still zoned single family, and that's crazy compared to, say, cities like San Francisco or even L.A., right, which seems spread out but has a ton of multifamily housing. And all Seattle's done so far is take some clusters on arterials and upzoned them a lot. But, you know, you could argue... Just take a whole neighborhood like Soto and just put, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people in there. Easy. Build a whole neighborhood from scratch. That's what they did in Portland. They took the Pearl District from scratch. The Pearl District was this, you know, barren area of warehouses, and a lot of it was a rail yard. And they planned it out carefully, had a kind of a consortium of public-private, and it's a really nice area now. In fact, it's probably not dense enough given that Portland's growing pretty fast, but at least you have an area that feels like it was planned, whereas Southwick Union – doesn't feel like it was planned. It's just kind of like a bunch of buildings. You're talking about growth and, and some of the consequences that you see of it. One of the consequences people point to 
is the homelessness, uh, just the rise of, of homelessness. And, and people point to the economic growth as one of the causes, uh, although there's a multitude of reasons. What have you noticed in terms of homelessness? You said you've been here in and out for 35 years. How does the homelessness crisis compare to earlier years in your time uh, here? You, there was, if there was one, no one saw it. You know, there was, there, were, there weren't people camping on overpasses and, you know, uh, the city unable to do anything about it. That's all a recent phenomena. Um, and probably, you know, many root causes of homelessness have nothing to do with growth. They have to do with the Reagan era move to empty out mental hospitals and do outpatient treatment and then later to cut funding. And so you have a lot of people who either have uh, mental health issues or drug addiction issues or both, some combo of the two, who are kind of on the fringes of society. And so they uh, this is where it gets interesting with growth is that say you're on the fringes of society and you know your rent is 500 bucks a month but you have some small income from whatever source it is whether it's the government or relatives or something well if the rent goes to a thousand a month now you're homeless right and so as a city gets really expensive and Seattle's certainly a lot more expensive than it used to be you could do the math but places like Seattle and San Francisco and LA have experienced crazy growth in real estate prices whether it's rentals or buying that on the margin, maybe 1% of the people go from being able to make it to not being able to make it. You can, you know, you can, so it's always funny people talk about the top 1% where the money is and everything. Well, Seattle's homelessness problem is sort of the bottom 1%. I don't mean that to be mean. I mean, just statistically speaking, if you did a bell curve, the number of people who are living on the margins where they're just trying to make it is probably 1% of the city's population, right? If you do the math, right? So, if real estate prices double, the likelihood that that 1% is gone from one side of the margin to the other goes up and they fall off the wayside, right? Now, there's also people who, it is kind of this funny thing about uh, the sort of post-boom economy. You have people who kind of do it as a lifestyle because they have other issues like they are estranged from their parents or they want to do drugs or whatever. And that's a, a weird, I think, West Coast phenomena. But in general, I think it's, funny that people think it is a huge problem and it's funny that the head tax thing happened the way it did here in Seattle because it's no one has ever come up yet with a large well-funded or well-known proposal to replace that revenue with something else and it just gets worse and worse and worse and so yippee they voted down the head tax you know uh, another classic example of Seattle being afraid that business would run away right well where are they going to go you know what's Amazon going to do move its Corporate headquarters of Spokane? I don't. I don't think so. You know, Jeff Bezos is a really nice pad over there in Medina. He's not going anywhere, right? So his kids are in school here. He's not going anywhere. So it's funny how people are good at focusing on the negatives and not about the solutions. But I think it's important to note that there is a correlation between the rise of this problem and growth, because growth drives up prices, and on the margin, right? People who could make it, can't make it. You know, I, I spent a bunch of time, my daughter's volunteered at the Recovery Cafe, and I know the people who founded it. I've helped raise money for them a little bit. And what they do is help people who are one notch up the ladder from homeless, whether they are recovering drug addicts or people who are mentally ill or both. And it's really interesting because what you need is a place to go. You need something to do just to hang on to that shred of society. Uh, and wandering around the streets isn't a place to do it. So, you know, you could... Uh, it's coming in fits and starts, but in any city, Seattle, mostly the West Coast, it's, you know, the, the scale of money that needs to be spent on it. And, you know, the, 
you could argue this in so many different ways. Like some people are proponents of universal basic income, and some people say, well, that's a joke. You're just giving away money. And of course, if you do the math, universal basic income for the bottom whatever percent is way cheaper than all the money that's spent on stuff now, whether it's the funding of emergency rooms or a million other things when people have to be picked up by ambulances or whatever. So it's funny that people, they confuse their sort of moral stance about politics and business with the data, because the data is usually very different. And I, I find it frustrating. So whose responsibility is it to fix this homelessness crisis? Well, it's society's problem. I mean, this is, you know, this is a, you know, government, as my partner Nick is fond of saying, it's your government. You know, <laughs> you get to vote, you get to run initiatives, you get to, you know, spend your money on campaigns to do things. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter if you squint your eyes, whether it's the county or the city or business, whatever. They all work together or they could. When things happen, look, when people want something to happen, it magically happens, right? We're getting a hockey team, they're rebuilding Key Arena. It's going to be a billion dollars, right? Well, it magically happened. A lot of us being paid for by a private equity billionaire from Texas. Who cares? It happened, right? They wanted to, you know, build a baseball stadium in 1995. Well, it got voted down and then it magically happened anyway, right? How did it happen? Well, you know, a senator, the governor, the legislature, it magically happened, right? So I'm not trying to be flip here, but people just need to know what to do. And then if it's a good idea, people rally around it. The problem here is there's no consensus about what to do. What to do. Never mind who's responsibility it is. Some things are obvious, you know, like it was obvious that if you wanted the Mariners not to move to Tampa, they needed a new baseball stadium, right? You could have argued about, was it too expensive? Was it too cheap? Who should have paid for it? Which tax? Whatever. But it was pretty obvious. And remember, remember the Seahawks, right? Okay, the Seahawks were going to leave. And then Paul Allen bought them from Ken Baring, but he didn't, he only bought them conditional upon a vote. And he paid for the vote. That is, he paid for the cost of the vote. And it passed, barely. And we got a new football stadium. We have Seahawks, right? They would have been in L.A. So I'm not comparing Seahawks to homelessness except to say that in both cases, you have a large problem that's going to cost a ton of money to fix. That's why I bring it up as an example, right? You know, sometimes in Seattle, stuff just happens by accident, right? Why is the, why is the viaduct being torn down and a tunnel being built without transit in it? Because of the earthquake. I mean, really, that's what happened, right? So I don't know if it's good or bad, but that's what happened, right? Why is there no Seattle Commons? Because it barely lost over two votes, right? Which seems kind of random. But so anyway, I don't think it's anybody's fault. It's everybody's fault or everybody's problem. And so here you are, you know, a business person, business executive, and now a, a venture capitalist investing in business. And you're saying that Seattle might almost be too nice to business? Um, absolutely. Too, they're, they're wimps. They never do things to scare business off as evidenced by the fact that it's growing like a weed, right? And so why would a business want to be here in Seattle if Seattle it's a really nice place to live full of smart people. I mean, think about it this way, okay? What's the most difficult place to start a business in the United States? Where is it? New York City, right? Everything is impossible, right? It's expensive. There's city income tax. To build a building, you got to pay off the mafia, et cetera, et cetera, Right? How's New York doing? It's growing like a weed, right? Because it's a desirable place. Okay, what's an even more difficult place to do business in New York? London, right? Growing like a weed, right? Okay, you know, Iowa City, pretty easy place to do business, right? Why isn't it growing like a weed? 
because nobody wants to live in Iowa City, right? I mean, people want to live in Seattle. They always have. It's a nice place, right? Would you agree it's a nice place? That's why I'm doing this podcast. I, I know. So my point is you don't need to convince people Seattle's a nice place to be, right? People always, they get the cause and effect confused, right? Like, you know, oh, we need to cut the corp capital gains tax rates that people will invest in business. Okay, when Microsoft and Sun went and Oracle went public, capital gains was 38%. Didn't stop anybody from funding the company or the company going public or people becoming millionaires, right? No cause and effect, right? Well, it's the same for this. People's attitude about growth in Seattle isn't going to affect what happens. You say businesses will still want to be here, uh, even if Seattle took a, a more anti, not anti-business, but uh, even if Seattle was a little a more harder. more nuanced approach about how to get people to pay for things and more, more leadership oriented as opposed to consensus building, right? And then you've said that we could solve this problem if we wanted to. It's just money. It's just money. What, what do homeless people need? Homes, right? I mean, I'm sorry to be flip, right? But what does every homeless person lack? A home, right? So it, it's just math. Money, land, buildings, math, right? And so, so why should businesses support leaders who want to make this investment or, make, or support making this investment themselves? Why, why do you think it's in the interest of businesses to address or tackle this homeless challenge? Because it's hard to hire people to come to work in a shithole. That's why, okay? And downtown Seattle is a shithole. It's, it's, a, it's a train wreck between uh, poorly planned, non-synced construction projects and too many homeless people. It's a, a very nightmarish place to cruise around. It's not a nice place, right? I mean, you know, objectively speaking, it's not really a very nice place. So why would it be in the business's interest to improve it rather than to maybe go to somewhere else? Well, where are they going to go? I mean, think about it. Are you talking about an existing business? One that already exists with thousands of employees? Where are they going to go? Are they going to move everybody? Remember when Boeing moved their corporate headquarters? Were you here then? No. So Boeing moved not all the people that actually build the airplanes. They just moved their corporate headquarters out of Seattle. <laughs> they, did a, they moved to Chicago, and they claimed Seattle was an anti-business, right? And they, you know, it was only like a few hundred people or whatever, but they moved to Chicago. And the first thing that happens, the execs were all like, man, it's cold here. <laughs> it's so windy. <laughs> No one told us. So, no, people want to be here. It's a nice place. By the way, it has no state income tax, right? So there aren't that many states. with You know what a huge draw that is for businesses and for rich people, right? They want to be in places with no state income tax. People are fleeing California because 13.5% state income tax, right? So Texas, Florida, Washington, they're all golden because they have, you know, incredibly regressive tax structures, which is because, you know, the number one indicator of why a business locates somewhere is where the CEO wants to live. It's all it is. It's all it ever is. And so how do you think people, how do you think this region or the city should tackle this big problem? Where should the money come from? And how do you convince? You need strong leaders. Okay. We have a city council and I mean, I'm optimistic about the new mayor because she's super smart, but you have a city council that's very parochial and you have people who are, they govern on the margins instead of on large thematic, you know, themes work, you know, you have a theme, it works, right, whatever it is. And, you know, it's in everyone's interest to have less people be in distress. I mean, homelessness, I, you know, I can carp about what it's like to walk around, but really it's just 
super sad, right? I mean, it's uh, the 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 way to think about where it could go is to go watch that movie uh, Elysium, a movie with Matt Damon about the healthcare up in the sky and all the poor people down on Earth. That's where it could end up, right? You could have people in nice places with everything and people in bad places with nothing, right? And that's not a good place. It's unstable and it's it's not. The weird thing is, okay, for me, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of an uh, optimistic guy. The weird thing is people always deal with government like it's this thing where you should focus on the pragmatic, right? But really, you should start by being aspirational and then work your way back. You should say, well, what do we want it to be like, right? Do we want to be last in the nation among public park acres per capita or first? Do we want to have the best schools or the worst schools? Do we want to have the worst traffic or the best traffic? Do we want to have the cleanest water or the dirtiest water? Do we want to have the most dead killer whales or the least dead killer whales? I mean, whatever it is, right? And people are like, it's like they're afraid to be aspirational, like it seems wimpy or something, right? When in fact, pretty much every great thing you know about was aspirational. You know, do you think Central Park was kind of aspirational maybe, you know? It was the first public park in the United States ever built in a big city. Crazy, right? Crazy, right? Uh, so, because, you know, a lot of parks in Europe were just hunting, royal hunting grounds or something that got converted later. So I, the reason, I'm not really saying, like, be mean to business, be nice to business. I'm saying start by being aspirational and then get people to kind of, um, you know, check in or check out to being aspirational, right? And when you check out, you know, kind of looks bad. It's like, no, I don't want it to be that nice. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. And you don't ever hear that. You hear a lot of good speeches, but people don't push, you know, like there are just so many examples of this. Okay, so, you know, right in front of City Hall, there's this giant hole in the ground, right, that was going to be a house, uh, condo development with a park, right? Okay, Seattle has so much money. Why isn't that going to be a park, a giant park, parking underneath it, whatever, right? It's crazy that it's going to be a mixed-use development. It's because people are just too cheap to spend the money to make it a park. Or fine, make it a park because it slopes down with housing underneath it for homeless people. I don't know. But why should it be another goddamn condo, right? It's pathetic, not aspirational. And now you want leadership to, to be aspirational and, and bring people on board to, to fund and tackle these big issues. What about just the everyday person listening to this podcast? What do you want one person who maybe not have the this position or desire to take that leadership role, what could they do? Vote. If you don't like the person who you vote for, vote them out. You know, I mean, it, it's like anything else. You, you know, what's the default for the person you're voting for? Is it okay or is it great? I mean, I know, and I'm, I'm being sort of idealistic on purpose because if you want to think long term, you know, like 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, by the way, lots of great things happening in Seattle. The viaduct coming down is really cool. You know, eventually light rail will get built even though it's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. But it's just in general, a lot of things, there's already a lot of lost opportunity because people weren't, in my opinion, weren't aspirational enough. They were too busy devoting their brain to being pragmatic and not busy enough trying to be aspirational about what, what they could get done. Any concluding thoughts on Seattle's growth, its homelessness challenge, and the future of the city? Well, the, the best thing about Seattle is it's got tons of really smart people. You know, my, my partner Nick is an example of someone who's gotten really involved in civic action way more than me and has done a lot of incredible stuff just through force of will. Um, and there's lots of people like that. And so Seattle's full of smart people and lots of cool things will happen. Um, I just feel like when it comes to macro planning issues, the city uh, approaches things from the wrong lens. So it just frustrates me a lot.
That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, or post to the Seattle Growth Podcast Facebook page. Please also take a moment to check out the trailer for my upcoming film, On the Brink. Visit facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm. The trailer features Sonic's legend Slick Watts, music from talented Seattle artists, and a brief view of some of the rich Seattle history that will be presented in the film. That's facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm. Next, Seattle Growth Podcast Season 5 continues its focus on homelessness. You'll hear a personal story of one man who decided that if anyone can make a difference, why not him? Guest Dale Hoff has utilized his talents to chip away at the homelessness crisis. Uh, it speaks to creativity, I think. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people deny their creativity and they just wait for somebody to kind of pull them out into the, the river to kind of do something creative. And I think I'd like to encourage anybody who has a thought or idea to, to dabble with it and, and, and try to create what they think might work. You'll also hear from a person who has made significant contributions to the business and economic growth of this city, Craig Kinzer. He previews a project he is working on that he thinks can revolutionize how the city produces affordable housing. Because as I was putting this together uh, a couple years ago and started to formulate it, it seemed like, well, geez, this is an obvious solution. It must be done somewhere else. And the idea actually came to me when I was touring... um, Asia, and I was in some of the major cities, Hong Kong, Shanghai, looking at how they do density, right? And, uh, and they do it much better than we do. Uh, but I could not find any other examples of what we had put together. Next week's episode gives hope and inspiration for those looking to make a difference in this homelessness crisis. I hope you'll join me next week. And in the meantime, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the fifth season of Seattle Growth Podcast.